Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast's review of 2012 or 2012. Whichever way is good for me. Uh, that was the year that was, and these are the people who will discuss the year that was. It's Helen O'Hara. Hello. Dan Jolin. Hello. And Phil Desemlian. Hello. Hello, Devil Ariwal. Uh, which is there an order? We should you weren't expecting that, were you? You no. weren't expecting me to come back at you. <laughs> should we all say it at the Everyone same time? Talk at the same time. Okay, yeah. I'm really well. It, oh. <laughs> That's pathetic. <laughs> After a cracking start, uh, I'm going to break this review of the year down into categories to make it easier for ourselves, otherwise, it'll just be a rambling free for all. Uh, so let's start with a very, very simple one. How many stars would you give 2012? Not the film, the year. Ooh. Like in personal life terms or yeah, in general in, film terms? In general film terms, you know, that, that idea that people have, like what year was the best mm. year ever for film? People say 1999 was a very good year. It was. Other people say 1997 was a good year because that was the year of Austin Powers and Event Horizon. Um, so what year? Well, it was no 1999. It was no 1999, no. which was the year of Magnolia and Three Kings. And, and The Matrix. And being John Malkovich. And yeah. The Phantom Menace. And the, fan- <laughs> and the Phantom Menace, of course. <laughs> Who can forget? And Fight Club. Well, this was the year of Phantom Menace in 3D. And Memento. No, Memento is 2001. 2000. 2000. <gasps> dun, 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 dun. Epic fail. Oh, yeah. Was um, it better than last year? It actually came out in 2000, but it was released in DVD in 1997. Chris is so proud of himself right now. You can't see him, but he's got his really proud of himself grin on his face. See, that was a, that was a joke about the DVD of Memento being released before it came out. And anyway, so yeah. How so would you... I would say four stars, probably four stars. Yeah, I thought there was uh, there were some real standouts, but overall the year didn't feel like it was like didn't feel like it was steadily high quality, which I think you get in the very very best years. It felt like there were peaks and troughs. But we had, for example, in terms of blockbusters, we sure. had the Avengers, which mm-hmm. was the third biggest film of all time. Yeah, but then we had, you know, big disappointments like Prometheus uh, uh-huh. and, and you know, films that perhaps delivered from others, for others, but not for me personally mm. um, in the blockbuster summer. I mean, the summer was a bit up and down for me and I think that kind of affects things. Also, I, I feel like there's a bit of a disparity with Oscar releases. I thought some of last year's best Oscar-y films actually came out in December here in the UK. So things like The Artist counted as a 2011 film for us but things like Lincoln are counting as a 2013 film so I feel like I'm missing some of those in this calendar year it's a little bit uh, a little bit underserved Okay and um, I thought um, the first half of the year was looking pretty a little tepid The Raid stood out Um, Young Adult stood out Young Adult sorry Um, there was one or two it was looking pretty patchy but the second half I think has been quite Uplifting. There's been some really good <laughs> stuff. Yeah, uplifting. I'm uplifted. It's probably Skyfall was was I really enjoyed. I thought yeah. that was excellent. Obviously, the, the biggest Avengers film is, of all time in the UK. Let's not forget. Absolutely. Um, and more. I think excited a lot of people. Beast of the Southern Wild. Thomas Vinterberg's Return with the Hunt was very mm-hmm. good. Madagascar um, Three. We've mm-hmm. done two five star reviews in the last week or two with Life of Pi and the West of Memphis. West of Memphis. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's been a lot of mm-hmm. quality and. Uh, I'm not sure we can say, talk about Zero Dark Thirty because that's a 2013 release. Really, that's correct. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so when I mention that one, it's too late. <laughs> it's too late. <laughs> it's too late. It's it's out yes. Yeah, no, it's been a strong year, I thought. Um, it's, it's been enjoyable. I mean, there have been disappointments, like, like Helen said. Um, certain things I was really looking forward to that I felt let down by. But then again, you know, I think with Between Avengers Assemble, I suppose we have to say, Between Avengers Assemble, The Dark no, Knight Rises. No, no. Skyfall, you know, in terms of, and, and The Hobbit, An Unexpected Journey, in terms of, like, you know, the big, big movies, it's been a very high level of quality. You know, it's not been all um, battleships mm. and, uh, you know, Transformers sequels style level of, of, of blockbusteriness. 
and then you know down the uh, down the art house uh, end, you know you had like Phil said, you know Beast of the Southern Wild and Rust and Bone, and then mm-hmm. in between you've got stuff like Argo, which was which yeah. was extremely strong, I thought, uh, from Ben Affleck. Um, the Master, I'm still not sure about. That's such a weird one. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if I like it or not. I think I think there's a lot of people <laughs> feel that way. Yeah. I, yeah, I think I like it, but I, I certainly don't think it's as good as um, as There Will Be Blood. No. But I do. I did just find it fascinating, and if you know, I absolutely agree with all those who find it plotless. Yes, I don't think it does have a plot particularly, mm. but I just find the clash of those two characters pretty fascinating. So. Um, I, I I like it. Yeah. Um, I think it's good. Yeah. Not really a sort of plot-driven director in that in that way. No, but at the same time, yeah. there's there's felt like there's a, a bit more forward momentum in in previous Definitely. films yeah. than than in this one. Definitely. And I, I'm not necessarily saying that's a criticism, but I think it's something that people were struck by. But I mean, I, I guess there will be blood had a source material to fall back on um, in the Upton Sinclair novel and mm-hmm. the history of that period, etc. Maybe this one. Uh, oh, there's maybe history this to this period too. If we, yeah, absolutely, and and I think it got, but it, his stuff is so gets a bit bogged down in the Paul Thomas Anderson-ness of it all. Everybody's mm. you know thinking it's going to be the next coming. It's very difficult to judge it on its own merits. Mm. And, and and then obviously there was a Scientology. Is it about Elron Hubbard? Isn't it? Blah blah blah. I'm not sure that really. I don't think that really uh, went really, anywhere. Really, really made much of a difference. No, I think. But I, mean, I, do, is, I do think that the, the, the level of the level of rhapsodying about it, a can, mm. certainly played into a slight backlash against the movie where people are looking for, you know, the second coming or sure. something. Mm. And I thought it just, as a movie, it really gripped me. And mm. some of the acting was just I, abs- I absolutely agree. And I thought technically it was amazing. And I keep thinking about elements of it, both in the, you know, the structure of it, script-wise, and in, in the way it was shot and the construction of certain scenes. It keeps coming back to me and back to me and back to me. But all I'm saying is, I'm not feeling love, love, no. you know, love. Yeah. But I tell you what, surprise oh of God. the year for me, pleasant surprise, <laughs> Okay, completely changing tack, pleasant surprise of the year for me was Perks of Being a Wallflower. Mm. Mm, fair enough, Which yeah. I actually really liked. I was completely not Great soundtrack, to. I believe. Very good soundtrack. I think it's partly because it, it's it's a sort of a, t- a teen sort of romance, troubled teen romancey movie, but it's set around the time that I was like that. If you see what I mean. <laughs> so you can identify for once. So I can identify it with it on a nostalgic basis mm. rather than a current basis. So, um, although I'm not, I mean, and I suppose thinking about it, I mean, you know, I hate The Breakfast Club, for example, because I just think they all need a slap. Yeah. And they all need to just grow up and shut up. But this uh, didn't make me feel like that. It's actually made me feel like, oh, yeah, I, I felt what they're feeling a bit. Although I'm not in any way a psychopath or suicidal. I had that with Pusher. <sighs> <laughs> just on the dance floor scenes with the orbital soundtrack. Oh, I thought you were talking about no, the your dark, the your dark history selling cocaine. Serbian kind of North London <laughs> drug kingpins. You've got to find your life that. as a film journalist somehow. Right? <laughs> yeah. It is quite tricky. Uh, so let's, let's go on to, uh, before we all come to surprise of the year, I mm. think it leads organically on to uh, our favourite soundtracks of the year. Because mm-hmm. Phil mentioned Orbital. Yeah, they, mm. did, they did a soundtrack, Helen. You're looking at me quizzically. Um, favorite soundtracks of the year, Dan. You're you're into your well, absolutely pusher. Yeah, pusher. absolutely pusher. Yeah, because yeah. Orbital, well, one of my favorite uh, bands, uh, and uh, they've done a done a score which actually very much keys into their sound. It is, it is an electronic dance music score. It's not just kind of they've done scores before that tend to shift more into the weird noises bracket of electronica, you know, the kind of blending into sound design kind of stuff. Whereas this is, like Phil said, full-on dance floor, um, pounding 
beats kind of thing, as James Dyer would say. Um, and uh, fat, fat, <laughs> fat beats, fat beats, <laughs> yes. like which, which you'd say with a look on his face, like he's just sort of sniffed the dog's turd. P H A T, and I believe beats are spelt with a said. Am I right? Yeah, I believe yeah. so. Yes. Yeah. So. But no, I actually thought it, it was a genuinely very, very strong score. Um, but uh, yeah, so that, and I'd say Pusher Theme is probably my my track of the year. Mm. Although the Dwarf song comes close. <laughs> I not, like that's the, not in Pusher, by the way. <laughs> thanks for clarifying that. I like the Dread soundtrack as well. I thought that was That rather, was a good one. Uh, yeah, it was rather tough-edged. It was keeping reggae. <laughs> that would have been a very different feeling film. <laughs> um, that... I don't know if anyone saw um, Sean Penn in um, This Must Be The Place, but the soundtrack for that was written by a band called The Pieces of Shit, <laughs> put together by Bonnie Prince Billy, the folk musician, and David Byrne, the ex-talking head. Mm. And that's got some lovely stuff on it. Another film that polarised people but has a great soundtrack is Cosmopolis. Oh, yeah. Metric and, and Howard Shaw. It's mm. kind of an yeah, unlikely yeah. The, the, you know, Canadian indie band that you may know from Scott Pilgrim soundtrack. Um it's an unlikely pairing, and I'd love to know how that came about, but there's some great stuff on there, some great tunes. Mm. Um, I also liked, uh, yeah, it's weird if you're listening in the States and you're going, hang on, 2012 movies? Yes, The Muppets did come out here in 2012. Uh, I don't know why, but it came out in mm. February 2012, and I loved that soundtrack. Yeah, that was yeah Trent Reznor did all the music. Trent Reznor's, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Trent Reznor's Fucked Sodden Muppet was... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Or yeah. was it a beautiful that, piece that, that, of music? that brilliant uh, title track, Hand Up My Ass, <laughs> yes. which, uh, which I thought was superb. <laughs> this has taken a dark this turn. This has taken a dark turn. I loved, um, I thought the, 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 uh, the song that won the Oscar for Brent McKenzie mm. was um, Man or Muppet, but the best song on that yeah. soundtrack is Life's a Happy Song yeah, uh, by Country Mile. Yeah. Um, and I also loved the use of young uh, and young adult of Teenage Fan Club as a concept film. I know you're a big fan as well. You, fan. you like me, you love the fannies. Love and, fan club. And uh, that was a fantastic use. Like six times, so that's all good. It is It is fantastic. Good to see uh, those guys getting royalties from that, which is good. Skyfall, what do we think of Skyfall? Dell's mm. Skyfall track? Ooh, yeah. Ish, that, okay. Actually. You like it? I've been thinking me. about making a Skyfall grower. crumble ever since. I think it would mm. probably involve, involve cloud berries. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> wow. Very good. And I liked uh, Neil Finn's song for Lonely Mountain from The Hobbit. Oh, again. come on. I'm a Crowder yeah. House fan. Oh, so that was absolutely I, No, awful. no, no, it wasn't. I like anything. No, it's nice. No, it's not. It's terrible. Not, Honestly, you, that's idiot. a run out, run out of the, the theatre song. No, it's not. Get it's out. Way better this than, awful sound. Way better than Annie Lennox. <laughs> way better than Enya. Neil Finn is the man. Don't knock him. So, uh, all right, so that's my four. Anyone else? Um, I, I'd probably add, I don't know if there's going to be a soundtrack for it, but the... Um, LCD Sound System documentary. That's cheating. New York, I love you. Yes. That's cheating. It's not. It's that's well. A, that's a gig movie. That's a concert I, movie. You well, can't say you a concert too, movie then. for your answer. All right. <clears throat> I mean, I would. Yeah, I agree with okay. you. It's amazing. LCD Sound System. Let's just brilliant. pretend a giant work. eagle has flown into the room and delivered that point. Okay, Hobbit style. Mm? But we're indoors. Ugh, all right. So we won't do that one. <laughs> all right. So uh, Dan mentioned surprises of the year. Mm. So. Mm. Surprises of the year, or I guess maybe those unheralded gems that you know, because people always talk about the you know the, the big movies of the year. Is there anything that you saw this year that that you're evangelical about? Yeah, yeah, loads <laughs> of things. Yeah, absolutely. That people might not have seen. Oh, well, in this case, your your case is a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I think I'm not going to be anyone that's going to mention Headhunters as a nice Nordic, Nordic yep. surprise. Also, a film called Jackpot, which followed in the footsteps, which mm-hmm. is also slightly plays its 
bit broader in terms of its comedy, I suppose, um, but mm. also a dark Nordic thriller, which is worth searching out. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a lot of a lot of uh, good rave reviews, but The Hunt I saw at the London Film Festival. Um, Mike Lee was there, so I felt vindicated, and um, yeah. uh, that's fantastic. Thomas Vinterberg, who you know from Festen and the Dogma Movement, Dogma Movement was back with a with a real cracker. Um, mm. Those are worth finding on DVD if you haven't seen mm. them. For me, weirdly, I think in the uh, in the best of lists at the end of the year, people have been overlooking Chronicle, which I mm. thought was fantastic. And Josh, was Josh Trank's Chronicle, which really put him mm. on the radar, and he's now directing Fantastic Four over a Fox. Yeah, uh, and I thought it, really, it did a, a, a amazing job in two hands. It, it did a very interesting thing with the superhero movie by three kids who discover this this meteor and they get imbued with superpowers, and one of them goes goes nuts. It was yeah. an interesting take on on teen madness as well, and uh, and one of um, one or two films that strongly references Akira. Indeed, it was, uh, and Superman 2 at the end as well. And it was also a film that did an interesting twist on the found footage genre. Mm. And at funny, last. I like that. At last. <laughs> so, yes. Sarcastic. It's funny because we started and ended the year with that debate about found footage films that really don't really work, do they? I mean, End of Watch and Chronicle, the, the found footage device doesn't work, let's be honest. And doesn't impinge what, in Chronicle, it doesn't work? No, it doesn't, because there's a lot of shots that are being taken by other people, aren't there? I mean, it does it be better than End of Watch. Yeah, but neither of them really purely work in a pure Well, sense. no, in Chronicle, it, it explains it away, because at the end, he's so powerful that he's controlling other cameras, and he's mm. essentially... So yeah. it, it explains it away that way, and it becomes smoother and more cinematic as the movie goes on. Yeah, there's bits, though, which his girlfriend would have to be shooting. Yeah, and, well, and, it doesn't... It doesn't explain. all... I'm just saying that, yeah. you know, we debate that, but actually in both those cases, but there were such strong Chronicle films. Chronicle leaps through the hoops that End of Watch doesn't. End of Watch basically just says, this is our aesthetic, take it or leave it. If you, if you don't like it, fair enough. But Chronicle does leap through hoops to the point where there's a character who's in it and is filming everything just for no reason whatsoever, just so they can have her side of the of the story. Uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me, but the film itself is fantastic. Mm. And uh, oh, we're just uh, I'm going, literally going through the films of the year list here, and, and uh, a little bit of a shout out, Ellen. I think you agree with me this one mm-hmm. on a on a very good movie for the state, Safe, back in May, which is yes. a, a really good little thriller. Uh, unusual and actually has a plot and, and uh, as well as some really good action sequences and yeah. one of the best um, unforeseen resolutions in, in a movie I've seen for a long, long time with, with the major bad guy. I think you know what I'm talking about. I, I do, yes. Do. I, I think it's I think it's an interesting one that because it still allowed him very much to be the stake. It was still one of those kind of very over-the-top action movies. You know, it, it, it doesn't feel like it comes from a completely different actor to the one who starred in Crank and the Transporter movies. But at the same time, it just gave him a little bit of an extra edge and made a little bit more sense in the real world, which was quite nice. I would also echo Headhunters. Um, I thought that was absolutely terrific. And I, I think possibly due to my own ignorance going in, I enjoyed it a heck of a lot because I thought it was going to be another one of these really heavy, really dark Norwegian crime hmm. thrillers. You know, we're kind of, you know, inured now to these Gandhi crime dramas and, and then being very, very serious and very, very uh, traumatic. And this one, you realise at about the same time that a person disappears into a pool of... Poop. excrement yep. um, that Shit. it's a comedy and uh, and it just came as this complete revelation it's like oh this is funny it's okay to laugh at it and it, it absolutely takes off from that point onwards it's about a, mm. it's about a man with a s- small man complex isn't it basically yeah Napoleon <laughs> complex uh, who goes like up Jack against Richard. Nikolai Kostarwaldau which you know per him <laughs> Um, can we also give due props to Wild Bill, which feels like a long time ago now? Yeah, we had Dexter yeah, yeah. Fletcher and Jason Fleming in to talk about it with us on the podcast. Yeah. Uh, I thought that was a lovely. Actually, lovely I thought Charlie Creed Miles was really overlooked, yes, even though he's was. the title character. Yeah. Um, I, I just think uh, he was he was superb in that film, and he seems to have, for some reason, people don't seem to have given him fair full props for for his performance in that film. 
Dexter Fletcher and Jason Fleming were very, very praiseful yeah. about him. Yeah. But you're right. He I just mean really in reviews generally. No, I just mean wasn't. in the commentary on it. Obviously, mm. the guys working on it are all going to say Charlie's great. But mm. of course, um, yeah. But you're right. He hasn't been. He hasn't received due due accolades for that. Yeah. And he's so good in that film. Yeah, it's a beautiful Brilliant. little kind of domestic. And a great, great barroom barroom brawl scene. Yeah, and like the Western done. elements. Yeah. and yeah. and, and uh, very. You know, it's good to see Dexter Fletcher's directorial career. Off Indeed, and, and he's already making his second movie, Sunshine and Leith. So that should be out next year, hopefully. Uh, looking forward to that one. Okay, I'm going to skip around. We've done a little list here. I'm mm. going to skip around. And keep sure. your eyes on your toes. Uh, I'm going to uh, ask you for a new one. I'm going to throw this one at you. Your cinematic experience of Ooh, the year. I know. I know what I'm going to say. Go on. Then. Say it. It might be slightly, slightly. I mean. I will, I, I'm going to confess this. I'm going to say this out front. I haven't seen Life of Pi yet. I'm okay. sorry, world. It just didn't happen for Dan and Life of Pi. But, so that given, I'm saying my cinematic experience of the year was dread. Ooh, why so? Um, because 3D, in my experience, and I'm including Avatar, and this has been entirely unspectacular, but dread is the first movie that's used 3D that I've seen in a way that I thought was really spectacular. Um, so despite the fact I that agree. the film itself is relatively low budget and stripped down and gritty and brutal, it had some of the most beautiful imagery in it that I've seen all year. Uh, and Anthony Dodd-Mantle is the man we should be applauding in particular here because uh, he really sort of embraced the idea of, of, of working with it and even developed his own sort of mini handheld cameras that, that, were, you know, that could shoot in 3D. So he could uh, get up close to people's faces and play around with their features in negative space. And, of course, there's that amazing moment with Alina Hedy in the bath with the, the mm. water spraying in, in ultra-slow motion. And, uh, and the, way bullets, uh, the, the way bullets explode in people's body and yeah. the flesh undulates. And it's, 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 mm. it's quite Yeah, they lovely. did that by shooting yeah. uh, air. Air. They actually shot really? air. Okay. Very, very, very hard at people's bodies. So you've got that. Oh, you know when you put your hands underneath a very powerful hand dryer? And you can sort of see it rippling. Indeed. That's how they did that effect. Oh, but anyway, okay. I just thought, I actually thought it was great. There so you go. Was, that, was that an experience just in terms of the experience you had or was it because you were with other people who were enjoying it as much? Or No, I was at a critic screening. Oh, they're awful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was just, I think it was just because I'd, I'd obviously I, I covered the film for the mag, so I talked to people about it and, and I am a 3D sceptic and continue to be in most cases. Um, so I, I was kind of intrigued and it was, I was really just pleasantly surprised at just how much I enjoyed it. For me, and this will surprise no one who's ever listened to the podcast, uh, it was Avengers, I have to say. I mean, it, it started, they came in and announced that they were showing it in 2D at the first screening and everybody cheered mm. and basically <laughs> kept did. cheering for the next sort of whatever it is, two and a quarter hours. Um, I, I came out absolutely bouncing from that film. I was, I was just kind of grinning throughout. Mm. Me too, me too actually. Me too. It. I'm with you on that. Absolutely. Didn't you see in the sort of William Castle wobbly chair vision? Uh, well, I, all, I went back. Uh, it has to be said more than more than once, more than twice. Uh, and uh, I saw it. With <laughs> I saw it in three D with a static chair, and then I went and saw it in something static. called D box motion vision, yes. uh, where they have the chairs that kind of move according to what's happening on screen. And Shame was the first movie that I, that was, <laughs> I played with as oh, well. Yeah, yeah, well, absolutely. Shame shame is definitely worth a look in, in D-Box motion vision. I wouldn't know whether I was coming or going. Oh. Oh, oh, what does the D stand for? Don't ask. Don't answer that question. Have you seen the picture of the Life of Pi screening in Paris, where they've got the 
they're in a, they're on boats in their little That's wave tank, picture, yeah. not yeah. wave tank. They throw waves at them in the storm scenes. And the big screen. I'd love to have been there. That looks amazing. But I did. I was really lucky to go to the Life of Pi premiere um, in Leicester Square with Ang Lee there and Suraj Sharma. Sharma, yeah. Um, and Rafe Spall and those. And I just I would love that film. And we talked mm. about it in the podcast last week. Um, I should also mention it's just when you say premiere, the Les Mis premiere was pretty incredible because that was enormous and uh, people were basically sobbing in the aisles at the more moving scenes so that was pretty pretty impressive yeah stuff. I think for the record we should say that we don't go to that many pre- we don't get invited to that <laughs> no, many no, premieres no, so we get excited when we do so it's very exciting <laughs> I'll um, go the opening of an envelope I, re- I really will oh, yeah. but uh, for me and my have I have, and it was exciting. Yeah. Anthony Daniels was there. My uh, my cinematic experience of the year was The Raid. Um, any of the three times I saw it, I think mm. the, probably the third time I saw it, which was at one o'clock in the You're morning. You're just copying me. At the, uh, I am, I'll, I'll get the dread in a second. Uh, was, um, I saw it at the uh, Ritzy in Brixton uh, as part of a double bill with Hard Boiled. And when you watch uh, Hard Boiled before The Raid, it, I love Hard Boiled to bits, but it does seem like a movie that's not just 20 years old, but 50 <laughs> to 60 years old. The, yeah. the contrast between the two movies is astonishing. And I watched it with The Raid with a bunch of people who had never seen it before. And I have not seen a movie in a long, long time that makes you go, ooh, ee, ah, and then just to start spontaneously applauding yeah. as, as The Raid does. Mm-hmm. And it's fantastic when you watch it with people who've never seen it before. Um, and Dread was another experience for me because uh, I saw it for the second time at Comic-Con, sat next to Carl Urban, <laughs> which was which was just a surreal experience. Basically, I, I sat down uh, and I got to the screening quite early, and I sat down in the seat. And then the publicist came along and said, "Oh, can you can you move, please? Because these seats are reserved." And I started getting quite haughty. These seats don't look reserved. But I said, "Okay, I'm, I'm going to move. I'm going to move." And I moved, and there was a bank of seven seats left, and they they kept these seats empty. And I was like, "Why are they keeping these seats empty?" And then, literally, as the film begins, Carl Urban comes in and does the introduction, and then walks up the stairs. And I'm going, he's coming, he's coming here, isn't he? He's coming here, he's coming, he's beside me, Carl Urban. Okay, I went, right, yep, okay, hello, how's it going? Good, good. I'm watching uh, Judge Dredd, beside Judge Dredd. No pressure then. <laughs> so that was, a, that was an interesting one at the end. Uh, but yeah, all good. So that was it. All right. Well done, well done, Judge Dredd. Um, uh, let's see what else we've got in the dialogue of the year. What was the best dialogue of the year? Ooh. I've got a, in a I've year there was a Joss Whedon film. <laughs> yes, yeah, what all was of the my, best dialogue. I actually, Dan, you you asked us for our suggestions uh, a month or so ago, and I think four of mine were from the. Avengers. Oh, oh, four of them from. <laughs> Does mother know that now it's wearing her drapes? <laughs> I've, I've got. Can I say? Can I say all four of mine? Sure. Can I say all four? Mm-hmm. So, so, so these are kind of mostly how I remembered them, as opposed to how they definitely are. But, <laughs> but um, Argo, uh, this is the best bad idea we have, sir. Yep. By far. Uh-huh. Um, the story of our issue meeting. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Sightseers, <laughs> Sightseers, tell that to the National Trust, uh, <laughs> which is great. Uh, Avengers, you mewling quim. Oh, yeah. That was terrific. It was just great hearing the word quim used mm. in a family entertainment movie. Kids, look it up. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, and also, actually, fair, to be fair, Tom Hiddleston's delivery yes. was superb. Gotta love Hiddleston. And finally, uh, um, uh, what's this from? Come on. I'm from the future. You should go to China. <laughs> hey, Looper. Yes. That those, is a great line. Those are my four favourite lines of the year. I, I would also add in, um, again, from The Avengers, uh, Tom Hiddleston's I'm Burdened with Glorious Purpose, because I just like the sound of it. Yeah. Um, it's like my life. Yeah, exactly. And uh, also Chris Evans, uh, There's Only One God, Ma'am, and I'm pretty sure he doesn't dress like that. That's mm. a great line. 
That is yeah, a great. That is good. I thought um, everything Rihanna says in Battleship. <laughs> it's like she's got a copy of Michael Bay's key phrases, and she's just going through them one by one. Does she say, "Bring the rain." At one point, she says, "Boom." She that's does. not dialogue, that's just noise. Yeah, that's not on a matter of here. I don't think that, that really counts. The bit where Jake Gyllenhaal's LAPD officer in End of Watch confronts that mean-looking Cypress Hill dude villain guy and just looks at him and goes, so why do they call you Big Evil? <laughs> <laughs> I like that moment, that was great. Yeah. And a dishonourable mention to, I think, the line we all remember from Savages, I had orgasms, he had wargasms. Oh, well, if we're doing worse dialogue, I love rocks. <laughs> it's Prometheus. A <laughs> I really love rocks. <laughs> Amazing. There's um establishing a geologist. <laughs> There's another what, what are geologists do? They love rocks. <laughs> another... yep, and he still gets lost. I know. There's more societies has got lots of them. I would like I think those. partly because of yeah. their, their broad I can't cope without popery. Yeah. <laughs> Mom, no one wants to look in your sanctum. <laughs> <laughs> Apologies for the accent. Yeah. It's pretty good, actually. I quite like that. Yeah, it's good. Good stuff. Um, okay, so that's dialogue clear. I'm terrible at remembering dialogue, so I'm skipping that one very, very quickly. Uh, I'm going to throw another one at you guys. Uh, see what comes in your head first off. Uh, who is your celebrity movie related tweeter of the year? Ooh. Mm. It's always The Rock, isn't Michael it? Michael Haneke. Is it really The Rock? <laughs> I love The Rock as much as anybody. Mm. But his, well, this year Twitter, he hasn't been on as good form as last year. His Twitter feed's becoming a little tedious. You're it is. Becoming it's a, a succession tedious. of team bringing it and boots to asses, and that's all it is. I just want a little bit of variety. And also, <laughs> he gave Nick a shout out on Twitter, and he didn't give a shout out. That's to us. why. He well, that was that was that was his truth. real problem. Yeah. So yeah, mm. frankly, he's dead to me now. Yeah, the, uh, the Michael Hanneke, Michael underscore yeah. Hanneke Twitter account yeah. is is pretty astonishing. Yeah. Sadly, I'm not hundred percent sure it's real. <gasps> Yes, but I thought the police really did go around his house and tell him to turn his music down and he refused to because it's his house and he can play Rihanna as loud as he likes. Lol. Lol, Lol. yeah. <laughs> but I, I was really tempted to start up a fake Terence Malick one to start a war with him, but I'm just, I don't think I could sustain. It's, it, takes, it takes a lot of time. Yeah. I just, yeah. And also the, 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 uh, the Michael Hannigan one got very old very quickly for me. Any, any real people? Any real people? Gareth Bale. Gareth Bale. <laughs> like Gareth Bale. He really <laughs> tweeted me. Did he? Gareth Bale wow, he answered one of my Twitter questions. You asked Gareth Bell a, a Twitter question? Yeah, he did a Twitter Q&A and asked, this is a bit niche as well, isn't it? Because he's a footballer. It's yeah. technically not a football podcast. Mm. But, um, technically, yeah. no, it is not a football podcast. I asked him if he liked Peter Crouch's moustache. Okay. <laughs> and he said he did, but he couldn't grow one himself. Lol. Phil asking the big questions. Oh, the questions yeah. that matter. Uh, I'm going to say uh, Nigel Cole is quite interesting, the director of uh, Made in Dagenham, mm-hmm. who is basically tweeting a whole load of uh, movie-making tips. Which are which are always good. Which are always good and fun and interesting. Mm-hmm. And he just seems like a like a like an interesting guy. Mm. Um, I've been, I've just recently started following Damon Lindelof. He's actually quite fun. On he Twitter. is very fun. And I, I I love what he's doing on Twitter because he's had a lot of shit thrown over Prometheus mm-hmm. this I year. Love rocks. And what he does is yes, as we've just thrown a little bit his way himself. He may not have written that line. That may have been an ad lib. It may have been John Spates. We don't know. <laughs> um, but he, he tends to retweet the most horrible stuff that people mm. say to him on Twitter and he does it with a very wry smile on his face and he, he gets it, he understands it. He feels like a bit of a yin to Brett Easton Ellis' yang for me for some reason. Some of the stuff that Brett Easton Ellis comes out with on Twitter is just just horrifyingly horrible. Isn't I mean, that just his... Is that know, his thing? That's just, just a thing just that he does. It's, just, it's his thing. Yeah, but I think it's whatever. the thing that he did on about Catherine Bigelow. Was, that was pretty beyond the pale. That pair. was awful. And he's his, done things like that quite regularly. His, um, his campaign on Twitter, though, to be made screenwriter of Fifty Shades of Grey was, was, was charming and, and highly amusing. Uh, highly so. out of character. 
Yes, possibly not on purpose, but... Uh, I think we should okay. put that in context in case people didn't come across it, that he described Catherine Bigelow as being... She won the Oscar because she's quote-unquote a hot woman, and she's overrated. It was apropos not very much, was it? Was there any... Oh, I just think he was goading. Goading. He was just goading. Trolling, I believe. Obvious troll is obvious, yeah. uh, I'm afraid. Um, okay, mm. so that brings us neatly on to movie deaths of the year. Best and worst, folks, mm. best and worst. I think the back break in the raised stands out for me. That's still the back something. Break. The back the break, back. not, over not the uh, not the broken door stop. Oh, that also. Or the leap backwards oh. with the head and the, see. I d- managed yeah. to block those ones out, Chris. Yeah, <laughs> you've mm. brought back the trauma. Oh, oh, by the way, spoilers. If you haven't seen any films this year, we're going to discuss how people get killed. So yeah. maybe skip the next. Listen five to this after you see every single every film released <laughs> in twenty twelve. So, yeah, we're now in the year two thousand sixty seven. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to the review of the year. Um, for me, the the, the the stupidest movie deaths of the year were in Prometheus, and uh, not least the the Hello. deaths of Rafe Spall. Hello, and, deadly alien creature. Yeah, Rafe Hello, Spall. I'm going to put my face right next to you. Yeah. Rafe Spall and Sean Harris, whose sole purpose is to map the area that they're in, somehow get lost, and then go up to this horrible... It doesn't even look as if it's fluffy. It looks horrible and sinister, <laughs> and like it's going to kill you in the most disgusting way possible. And it does. It's not a big surprise, but the stupidest death of Prometheus... Charlie's there and Charlie's there. Run sideways. Mm. Yes. Actually, I was I was I was driving down a country lane the other day, and you, and you no, ran over. Just, I was driving. <laughs> she was riding down, <laughs> driving down country she lane. She can't get out of the way of danger. And there was a, there was a squirrel. There was a squirrel in the road, and squirrel saw me, and it turned around and it ran away from the car, the direction I was going, and I was trundling along at five miles an hour, and I'm not kidding, for for like about two straight minutes as this squirrel just kept running in front of me. <laughs> empty field on one side, empty field on the other side. And I thought to myself, that is the Charlize Theron of squirrel. So how do we know you didn't just sort of blunder upon some horrible squirrel replay of Prometheus and uh, you, you're the, this massive engineer type creature? You could be where squirrel life begins. You've blown my mind, Chris. I've <laughs> <laughs> blown it all wide open. Uh, the death of the dog Poppy in uh, Side Sears on oh. the Nittany Needles. That's, that's, that's up there as well. That's up there. And <laughs> come on, Dan, we're going to get letters now from. <laughs> but it is funny. It is funny, but we're going to get letters. I'm not saying I think it's funny that a dog should die on a knitting needle, but that scene was funny. But it's the way you laughed. Almost oh. as if you took some sort of weird carnal pleasure from it. Doesn't the dog die in, hu- in Headhunters in a similarly... The Dogo Argento, it yes. Does, yes. It does, yes. The Dogo Argento. Dogo does. <laughs> um, there's a very disturbing death in Looper, I found. Yes. You, actually, this is, I was thinking of mentioning this. And this is it's quite... The, I don't really one. think we should talk too much in detail because it feels like it might be a bit spoiler. I don't know what you're talking about. But yeah, the death that's sort of in the middle front half of the yeah. film. Is this a death that makes you maybe not have as much sympathy in a certain character yes. as you maybe thought that you were going to have? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah, it's Absolutely. really... No, no. Well, yeah. this is... The, I, the death you're talking about, because I, I finally... I caught up with Looper. I was behind on it. I caught up with it this weekend, which mm. was, of course, the day of Newtown, uh, yeah. the news breaking. So it was a really difficult watch. Very, very difficult. But I actually think that is essential to the film. It's, it's sen- yeah, essential right. and central. Uh, and, and very horrible to watch, very upsetting. But I think that's what elevates Looper in many ways, that it is a kind of film that can throw that in there, and it is not in any way this decade's The Matrix. Fair enough. <laughs> um, I want to add... And anyone who believes that is going to be confused. Throw Cockneys and Zombies into the mix. Um, there's some mm. good... I don't know if you saw that's one of the... 
One of the little hidden gems. That was one of the surprises of the year. Yeah, really fun from the from the title and the fact that it came after Strippers versus Werewolves. I think we were all Mm. sort of braced for the worst, Mm. but it was actually rather charming. I recommend it. It's a lot of fun. As as both a Cockney and a zombie, I I feel I should have seen it. I'm going to throw one more uh, movie death in this year, and it was, of course, the sad and terrible death of Agent Phil Coulson in the the Avengers. Coulson Um, lives, Chris. Coulson Coulson lives. lives. Actually, Um, I didn't feel I didn't feel the pain there at all, to be honest. You this monster. whole kind of this whole kind of oh my god they killed him what you mean that guy that's hardly in any of the other films yes, the oh that one. was bold wasn't it <laughs> come he was, on he was wearing a red shirt under kill his kill phil that's what i say kill phil kill phil volume 2 twist of the year was this a year filled with twists <sighs> yes yeah, some were i think effective than others i think i kind of I, I guess i pretty much guessed some of the biggest twists of the biggest films uh through overexposure i think maybe to Materials beforehand, but I think I think Looper. Mm. I know I'm sort of like we we kind of didn't really get into it too much earlier, but I really like the way that Looper um, played with your expectations of who is the good guy inverted commas and who is the bad guy in inverted commas and um, and messed around with that to to a very impressive degree. Uh, Once again, proving that his is not in any way this decade's The Matrix. You're going to hammer that point home, aren't you? <laughs> I liked uh, what Looper did in terms of the the young kid with the telekinetic powers because I didn't see that coming. I thought that was a, that was a twist mm. in itself. You saw it coming once you get into the movie into a certain area. Yeah. Certain I, I, I've got mixed movie, emotions but... about it because while I like a bit of Akira, as I said earlier, mm-hmm. um, I kind of like the way it started off being just a throwaway thing. Oh yeah, some people have developed a useless superpower. Well, it's not even a superpower; they just developed a useless ability. Yeah, and I, I kind of would have preferred it if it had just been that, just a little throwaway thing rather than feeding into the story, but hey, can't have everything. It's hard to know almost what constitutes a twist in some ways, because, I mean, the they were so secretive about the bear in Brave, but it's not really a twist, that's just a successfully kept secret, I think, about yes. the second act. Um, similarly, I, you know, a lot of... Um, a lot of the twists in Cabin in the Woods aren't so much twists as they're just the development of the story yeah, it's like and a unexpected slow burn revelation, yeah, isn't it? Directions. Yeah, yeah. So also, is it a twist if it's revealed in the in the trailer? Which some of it was, yeah. bits of it. Anyway, I, I mean, I loved that film. I'm not 100 percent sure it counts as twist. I think certainly my least favorite twist of the year was actually Talia Al Ghul, um, <laughs> because I I remember I literally scribbled. I had a piece of notepaper with me and I scribbled in huge letters. In blood. It's like Bond. Uh, because, you know, that theory that one out of every two women is, is evil. Mm. Um, it just which is, really annoyed me. Yeah, no. Not We're really. lucky no. we got the good one. <laughs> <laughs> or did you? Yeah. If, we had evil, yeah. if we had evil Helen in here, we'd all be in trouble. I like the twist in The Born Legacy and that it turned out to be utterly rubbish and about <laughs> nothing. Uh, I thought that I didn't see that coming at all. Um, <laughs> The problem with with a lot of the twists this year felt like they weren't really earned in the films that they were in. Shadow Dancer was had its moments, but I didn't I didn't think that the way that played out was particularly. Again, maybe that's not even even a twist. Mm. Um, I know what you saw. I know what you're saying. You, yeah, it, had, yeah. I mean, it wasn't a bad film. I, I, I did thought, like it. I did like yeah. it, and I, I I thought it was a bold way to go. Yeah. Um. So so I I didn't I didn't. I know what you mean. I didn't, I it didn't count as points scored against the film for me, but yeah. I kind of see what you're saying. It, well, yeah, without, uh, without spoiling one that it. does <laughs> one that does egregiously is the Raven, and I'm going to spoil it because it turns out <laughs> Scooby Doo style that the person that's committing the crimes is someone that you haven't really seen before in the film. So when he's unmasked, you're like, 
Okay. <laughs> the old man who that is. He is old man Wilson. Oh my Wilson, god, it's genital. that guy. It's like you haven't, you haven't he doesn't he's not in the stories. Not good at all. Does have a good raccoon in it, that film though. <laughs> right, well, that's, that's, that's what we look for. Mm-hmm. That's, what, that's why we're mad? so excited about Guardians of the Galaxy. It is, because mm. it has a, a raccoon and it has a gun and everything. Ooh, should, space. We, should, should we get racy with the sex scene of the year? Oh, hello. Mm. I would say Rust and Bone, um, where the sex scenes actually did play a large part in the plot. I guess in the same way that Shame did, which I think is this year, isn't it? That was mm, January, yeah. February. Yeah. Um, so both of those, mm. you know, the, the sex scenes actually expressed something about the characters involved, which is a rare and a precious thing. Yes. Um, so I, I liked both of those. Also, you said Bone. I yeah. did say Bone. I think, I think, I think, you know, if we're talking sex scenes of the year, you, we've got to uh, applaud Michael Fassbender because I can't see how he did that. His face really is in there. And there's no way. I can't see how that was in any way prosthetic or special effects. His face was in there. Sorry, this is pretty- And I'm just like, that is, that is devotion to your art. Which bit of Prometheus was this? <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? You know, same with Charlize and Numi, didn't you? No? <laughs> oh, she didn't run away. Yeah. That's right. Um, <laughs> no, I'm talking about shame, Chris. Shame. Shame, 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 shame. 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 Yeah. There's a great sex scene in Dark Shadows with the two vampires going at it. I think mm-hmm. that's the only time you're going to hear great and dark shadows in the same sentence this podcast. <laughs> yeah, but it, it is. It is, he is right. That is yep. a good scene. Uh, uh, yeah, and uh, not really a lot this year, I don't think. I don't have sex scenes. The Muppets. There was the one between, uh, yeah, Tony Stark and Bruce Banner in the in the Avengers. Oh, no, that was fan fiction. I keep forgetting about that one. Let's see what the next is, is next before we get accused of being really, really pervy. Yeah. Uh, moment of the year. What was the moment of the year for you in a film? Selena Kyle. Oh. Taking out a bar full of guys effortlessly, and then the door bursts open. She collapses to the floor, screaming like a victim. Oh, that's my moment too now. Mm. <laughs> and that's actually Anne Hathaway here, who uh, I think should also uh, have a moment of the year for her performances. Um, Claire Danes as Carrie Matheson on Saturday Night Live. I haven't seen that, but I hear it's good. very good. Okay. There's a moment um, with Mads Mikkelsen who won Best Actor at Cannes for his role in The Hunt as a man in a crucible style. Community's turned against him. He's been accused wrongly of being a paedophile who goes into a supermarket to try and buy some food for himself. Everyone's turned against him and they ask him to leave. And there's this incredibly powerful scene in which, which ends up with someone in the supermarket, one of the workers throwing a tin of like tomatoes or baked beans at him and hitting him in the head. And so he's bleeding. He goes out, they throw him out and he just comes straight back in and continues shopping. He's like a man taking a stand. It's an astonishing piece of, of acting from I'm quite choked. I'm quite choked up just from your description. It's, an, it's a really powerful film and that's, that's a centre, cent, there's two centrepiece moments. There's that and then there's one where he goes into church and his old friends, it's a little bit like the beginning of the killing season one, the old the family turning mm. against... Um, th- his best friends have turned against him. Their daughter's five-year-old daughter has, has uh, charged him with this thing, and uh, he refuses to leave. Um, and he just and then he gets up, and tears are flooding down his face, and the whole community is there. All of this stuff crystallizes into two amazing pieces of drama. On a different note, Cockneys versus Zombies is a great <laughs> moment. <laughs> There's a great moment where. Where zombie West Ham fans and zombie Millwall fans just start fighting. <laughs> Which I thought was very funny. There you go. That's Field Assembly in Encapsulated. Yeah. There you go. Beautiful. Beautiful. Um, I'm tempted to say Magic Mike, just 
generally, um, but particularly the scene. We're not where, just objects, Helen. No, no. The particular the scene where uh, Mike is explaining the ropes uh, to the new kid Adam to Alex Pettifer, um, and in the foreground there's someone using a penis pump. <laughs> yeah, and it's just hilarious. It's the on. funniest thing in the yeah. It's the funniest thing in the movie. And and Alex Pettifer is trying to pay attention, but his but his eyes just keep wandering just like what the heck is going on and where am I um, it's it's a really beautifully played little scene uh, the Aston Martin reveal in, in Skyfall oh yeah for me was was fantastic yeah uh, numerous moments in the raid uh, and for me probably the movie moment of the year was Hulk smashing Loki to the floor repeatedly in <laughs> the Avengers Puny God, God. God. Mm, that was a great so, moment that's that, a good one uh, but for me the, the moment of the year was realising that Project X was over and I could leave <laughs> And I could go home and, <laughs> and get on with my life. Uh, which brings me very, very quickly to our films of the year, Worst and Best, Dan. Worst, Salmon Fishing in the Yemen. Oh, it's harsh. I know, but I hated, 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 hated that insipid piece of shit. Okay. <laughs> Tell us what you really... No, don't. Actually, we don't have that long. Yeah, sorry. I would go into more detail. And Best? There you go. Uh, Beasts of the Southern Wild. Oh, that's, a, that's an interesting which, one. Yes, which was like a film made by some of my favourite filmmakers all rolled into one, but by a guy who was doing it for the first time with a cast of unknowns on no money. And he, you know, he made something better looking and better sounding and more uh, heartfelt than anything else I saw all year. Great soundtrack. Yes. And both your best and your worst films involve scenes of fishing. They do. <laughs> Tell, it says a lot about Nicely you, tied together. Mm. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Helen, best and worst. Uh, best Avengers. I've already explained everything about why I love it, and I do. Um, worst, uh, I saw what to expect while you're expecting. And while oh. there are a couple of good moments, most of them involving Anna Kendrick, uh, overall, just awful. <laughs> Fair enough, Phil. <laughs> yeah, I go along with that. <clears throat> that was terrible. Battleship was... Oh, God. Terrible. I mean, it wasn't even, like, fun terrible like some of the Michael Bay films can sometimes be. It was just terrible. Um, I also really didn't like Friends with Kids, I have to say. I mean, that felt like a film that was sort of aimed at someone of my age, I suppose, and it just felt really self-conscious and it rang, didn't, it rang false in all sorts of ways for me. Um, and films that I loved, I think we talked about a lot, uh, Life of Pi, Rust and Bone, mm. Beast of the Southern Wild... Um, there's some great documentaries this year. I love Searching for Sugar Man. Mm. Uh, the Art of Rap was a mm. nice surprise. Yeah. Ice Tea. I haven't seen Room 37 yet. 237. Yeah, Queen really of good. Versailles, I think, is worth Queen a shout. Queen of Versailles is terrific. Right, yes. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. The Imposter, we haven't mentioned, is yeah. five stars. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, those are some of them. There were lots. I loved Anna, Anna Karenina more What's than the one? a lot of What's people. What's the one? The question was, what is the oh, one? What's well, the I was one? hedging that because I can't make up my mind. Don't hedge. I think it's Life of Pi now. I think it's Life of Pi for me. Life of Pi. Yeah, I think right. so. I was going to rush for Taxman this. All right, worst film of the year is uh, worst film of this year, last year, last ten years, last twenty yeah, years. Yeah, all right, Project X. Ever Project X. <laughs> dreadful. Although I also loathe the five year engagement. Um, I would have to say my best film of the year uh, is The Raid. So there you go. But by just that much from the Avengers. The Road. Just that much. The Raid. The boat. He's Northern Irish. That's the, the Raid. The Road. The Raid. The, ra- the ra- oh, for God's sake. <laughs> On that racist note. That's it. It's not racist, it's xenophobic. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> and that is it for 2012 or 2012, or as Dan might probably hear us now. Me, 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 me. We'll be back in 2013 with a regular podcast, so do please keep listening to Lowe's. Oh, please, God, keep listening to Lowe's. Until we come back, it's goodbye from Dan. Goodbye. It's goodbye from Helen. Goodbye. It's goodbye from Phil. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. Goodbye. <laughs>